podcast where we read the 1001 books they say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole. I love Harry Potter and all historical fiction. And lately I've gotten a real taste uh, for some dystopian novels. And I'm Chelsea, and I'm always ready for a book that makes me cry. And I was doing a silent fist bump while Nicole was <laughs> saying her recent love for dystopian novels because I love those too. As well as Harry Potter. We can't be remiss and not mention that every That's time. That's true. We have to say that every time. <laughs> um, so before we start talking about what book we read this week, we're going to talk about what we're currently reading. So what are you reading, Nicole? Well, I've read a couple since we recorded last time because this book was long and I also <laughs> needed to take mental breaks from it. And so I read um, Six of Crows by, Yay! by Lee Bardugo, Lee Bardugo who, which you recommend to me, which was so fun. It's like a magical heist book, so which I was just like, that's a brilliant idea. I can't believe this hasn't been written before. I did think that it was a standalone novel, and so that when it didn't wrap up, I was so annoyed to not oh, have no. the next one. But the second one's so good. Yeah, no. it's actually waiting for me at the library right now, so I can go get it tomorrow. So I will don't have to wait too long. And then I also read Homegoing by, I'm going to butcher this name, but Ya Gayasi, which several people recommended to me. Uh, and it's and it's like really good it's good on its own and it also fits into like a subgenre that i love which is like following one family or one person over like a long time mm-hmm. or a family over many generations and so this is about two half sisters who like they don't even really know that the other one exists but they're in like what in the 1700s what is going to become ghana and one of them gets sold into slavery and one doesn't and then it follows them families down the generations up until like the Ooh. present day but the thing that made it really unique was that each chapter would alternate between someone from each family line but it wouldn't i didn't like flow okay like okay this person's whole life and then this person's whole life it would just kind of like drop in on each um each like member for like a key period in their life and then it would like move on to the next person and so it was really good so kind of in what is the um not pillars of the earth the series that does generations of families but it's by that same author yeah, the first something has like giants, fall of giants yeah. is one of them. Is it kind of like that and like roots? Or? Yeah, similar except that it's more like even more so like it's just in on a moment, like this moment in this person's life rather than their whole story. Got it. I feel okay. like those books kind of like they go someone's whole life and then they pick up with their kid and then they go their whole life and then they but pick up with their kid. But this is like more like vignettes, um, but lo- that they're longer than that. Nice. Um, really good. Highly recommend it. It's... And it just like was really interesting to think about like the legacy of slavery and how it affects people. And, and the book is like a little bit mystical, you know? Uh-huh. And so like the, the great, great, great grandkid at the end has a fear of fire because of a fire that happened at the beginning of the book, but it's like in his bones, you know, that he's like, afraid it's of just it. ingrained yeah, he, in like, him. It, like came down. That's kind of cool. It's really good. As always, that's on my uh, 500 book long uh, TBRS. <laughs> so one day, yeah. um, I've been reading, Orphan Number 8 by Kim Van Alchemy. And I feel like this book was really popular when it first came out about three, I think two or three years ago. And it was on a lot of like book club lists and things. And I've been listening to it on audiobook. And I'm just, I'm not feeling it. It's about a little girl who's an orphan in 1920s New York and it's based on a true story which is that orphans in the Hebrew orphans home um because that that home was so well funded it had really crazy medical centers in it and because it didn't have any laws against harming orphans like 
they were experimented on with beginning x-rays. Oh, And so, yeah. like, it's based off of a real, like, story. Mm. But it's trying – it does – it's doing a lot of things. There are a lot of subplots in this book. And unfortunately, none of the characters are likable. So it's one of those <laughs> books where I – I'm finishing it because the concept was so cool. Yeah. But I'm just not, I'm not loving the actual story itself. But it made me, I did a decent amount of Googling on <laughs> how orphans were used as medical experiments. And that's just crazy to me. Yeah. So, so that makes me think of two things. Once I read a novel, I think it was by Jojo Moyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I can't remember what it was called, but part of it was that one of the, the girl, little girl main character, when she was like five in like 1905, she had like swallowed something and then they x-rays were new. And so the doctor came to the house and they did an x-ray and it was like to see it inside mm-hmm. of her. And they, it was like in medical journals and stuff. But because even though they knew that you could get an x-ray, if you just flashed the x-ray like quickly, they're like, well, what would happen if you did it for an hour on her abdomen? Mm-hmm. And so they did that. And then the book like goes through her life and then she's like a young woman trying to get pregnant and she can't get pregnant because it killed all of her eggs yeah because she doesn't know that and it like like it leads basically to like a murder like because she's like scheming with her best friend like her best friend and like her sleeping with her husband to like to get a baby for her and like it's crazy but it was just it was because they were just like well what'll happen if we do it for an hour like without thinking yeah about and, the con- and she didn't have any it was not she did not have informed consent yeah no that's what this was so um it's based off an actual study where they wanted to see if they could do because apparently it was standard practice at that point um that they would do a lot of tonsillectomies on kids that went into orphanages because they just like to practice to get tonsillectomies and adenoids like gone um as like a preventative measure for like diseases going around and so they wanted to see if x-rays would excise the like tonsils and kill them and so they did there was experiments where they were seeing how long of an exposure you would need to shrink someone's tonsils and so it was like they were giving these kids mass amounts of radiation yeah just because just i mean not for funsies i'm sure people didn't realize they were doing something terrible but but there was was nobody who even if they had any hint of it there was no one to stand up for those kids yeah also in that book that i talked about last episode the immortal life of henrietta Lacks, Lacks, the nonfiction book. One of her daughters, like when she was still alive, was had a disability of some kind and was sent to a, like a facility. Mm-hmm. And later in the book, the other daughter is like does never knew what happened to her sister because she was like so tiny, and so she's like looking into it, and it turns out she was in this like one black institution for black people, uh-huh. uh, and people were just like freely experimented on there. And like when her sister was there in the 1950s, it was like thousands of people over what the capacity was for, and that. And probably because her sister had epilepsy that she was in like this and this and this experiment that were like so like where they would like suck the liquid that uh, that surrounds your brain out to get a clear x-ray and then it, your body will recreate that but it takes a few months and you're just like in horrible pain until it comes back basically oh. and, then, and they would just do it to people people who couldn't say no. And they were black, right, in the 1950s. And so it was It was just like, oh, so terrible. Institutions are so terrible. Yeah, and <laughs> medical ethics. Yeah. A uh, hundred years ago, even 50 years ago, not great. Yeah, yeah. And it, and like in that book, it talks a lot about how every time they made a leap forward in what is now feels like standard practice, like you can't do human experiments without uh-huh. informed consent, like the medical establishment resisted that and would be like, there's no good research is ever going to happen if you make us do this, yeah. which is just like turned out obviously to not be true. Research is still happening. But every time 
the establishment doesn't want to like have to do make any changes i don't know it's pretty terrible it's like some of the horrifying like psych experiments that were done in the 50s like Mm -hmm. the one where they had people thinking they were like killing someone through electrocution in the other room Mm -hmm. and i'm sure everyone who walked away from that study was just scarred for life yeah or they did things like let's see if this baby stays alive if no human ever touches it and then the babies would die yeah (laughs) yeah crazy experiments anyways Um, random long tangent well (laughs) we went on a tangent but our book we actually read for the book study this week is called a world for julius it is by alfredo bryce Echenique. 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 Spanish name. Um, he is from Peru. Um, he's a pretty well-known author, it looks like, from around from the what's the thing called at the beginning of a book? Introduction. introduction. <laughs> Words hard today. He's pretty well known for it seems like from the introduction in terms of he has some good works from there. He it, yeah. the book was published in Spanish in 1970 and translated into English in our translation in 1992. Yeah, and it sounded like from the introduction. Look, I read the introduction again. And so did I'm I. starting to read them. Like when whenever especially if the book is a translation, I'm like yeah. oh, I have to read them. So that's this podcast is changing me. Um, but it said basically that this guy, Alfredo Bryce Echenique and um the guy who wrote 100 Years of Solitude, Gabriel whatever something with an M. Oh gosh, wow. I can't think of it. <laughs> I love 100 Years of Solitude. Those two guys are like the most those most well known representatives mm-hmm. of all Latin American yes. literature. Basically, this book and the Hundred Years of Solitude, which is interesting because I had never heard of him before no. we read this. No, not at all. So uh, that speaks well to our uh, depth of reading in our schools in America. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> if you had to describe. Um, a world for Julius in one word. What would that word be? I said elitism. Okay. My word was excess. So along the same lines there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell us like a one word description of the plot of this book before we get into spoilers? A one word description? Or one <laughs> sentence description? I will do one sentence, yes. <laughs> uh, so in this book, Julius comes of age and he's surrounded by the excesses of the ultra rich in the 1940s and 50s in Lima, Peru. And so following this, we're going to move into spoilers. So again, if you don't want to hear our spoilers, you can fast forward to the point where we're going to do our extra segment at the end. The time is always in the show notes. So let's flesh out this plot a little bit. Okay. I'll, tr- I'll give it a try. Okay. Um, uh, I want to preface this by saying that this book was 430 pages long and I felt like I pretty much got the point it was trying to make after 30 pages. Yep. Um, it could have, it literally could have been, I was thinking this while we were reading it. I would have been satisfied with it as a like novella in just the first chapter. And I would have gotten the point. Yeah. And I like if it had been a hundred, even a hundred pages, like the first hundred pages, I was like, oh, I kind of like this, but then it just kept going. Mm-hmm. So, and I, so as a result of that, I don't feel like there was a ton of plot. Nope. Um, so basically Julius is this little boy and in the book he's basically between the ages of like birth and like 11 years mm-hmm. old at the end. Uh, and he's in a, he is born into a really rich family in Peru that sounds like in that time lots of like American money was coming into Peru, American investment and corporations and like there was a class of people that were getting very quickly very rich off of it and being very 
westernized Mm -hmm. in their lifestyles um and that so and then he has like two older brothers and an older sister the older sister dies from some from some disease that she goes off to america in a plane to go to a hospital and she never comes back and his dad has also passed away when he was a toddler yeah and then his mom remarries kind of like a rich playboy guy that is Mm -hmm. like very like all he wants to play golf and drink and have this like beautiful woman by his side and uh cheats on her all the time yeah uh and then like both his older brothers are like pretty terrible (laughs) uh, human beings and just and just like allowed to run wild because their mom is just not engaged with her children at all yeah um and and but he kind of um spends most of his time with a rotating set of servants that kind of some some of them are there without his whole childhood some leave um some new ones come but he and so but the family like wants to discourage him from being with the servants because there's like a class difference they were waiting for him to like join his type of people yeah so it's almost like in you you read the novel and it's a slow progression of him moving away from the happiness of his childhood with these servants who were almost like cushioning him in his innocence a little bit Mm -hmm. um and giving him love and caring that emotional support yeah family wasn't to he now sees that he's not supposed to want that from them so he's starting to push back against it some right and trying even though he doesn't like the example that he's getting from his brothers and his stepfather and his mother he knows he has has nothing else he has to fit into that world and he's making himself do it and change as he gets older um so this is a coming of age book and i recently i read some other coming of age books and i was just like Damn, I don't think I like coming of age stories anymore. We've I've aged out because mm-hmm. there's a, there's like a period in your life when coming of age stories like you relate to them, and even though things in them might seem ridiculous as an adult, yeah. you're just like, oh, you have such intense emotions about them, and and then you then you get past it, and now I just feel like I'm just like not interested in them anymore in the same way, particularly when the main character is a girl because they always. I think I talked about this on the podcast before, or maybe we just talked about it, about how, like, when a girl often it always involves, like, a sexual assault mm-hmm. every time. And not yeah. that that isn't a common story. Unfortunately, it is. But it's in the book, it's always weirdly romanticized and, like, how – I've read multiple books of this, like, how the girl becomes a yeah. woman. And I just, like, so sick of hearing that trope because it's, like, screwed up. Damaging. <laughs> and damaging. Uh, and so then I was just, like, I just feel like – come of age stories just don't do it for me anymore in the same way i mean i think i think they're different i don't think i've read a coming of age story recently that i didn't first read when i was that age so there's still that like connection to it um and most of the time when i'm reading like ya or something that would fall into that trope it's a fantasy book or something so it's still it's not it's not actually just like a real world yes mm-hmm. coming of age so i don't think i read a lot of them i also just feel like the two that we've read for this podcast so caravan sarai and this one are i would both say are coming of age stories yes um were really hard to get to um some of them for similar reasons and then some different ones so something that i noticed i was drawing a lot of parallels between caravan sarai and this mm-hmm. book because they had well this one did have chapters woohoo um <laughs> they had a lot of long 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 blocks of text yes. where nothing was really happening and it was switching like 
tenses and viewpoints with and like people were speaking without quotations and it was very much like stream of consciousness yes but I don't even know from whose consciousness in (laughs) this book and so that was a similarity to Caravanserai and I definitely don't like that stylistically like I cannot I don't like that yeah I the structure yeah the structure was hard and there was definitely points where I they're just like oh I can see that the next five pages are just blocks of text and they're at this party and at the end of the five pages they're still at the party and I'll just be like well I'll just skip these five pages nothing's gonna happen because the book is not plot driven no but the descriptions and the dialogue are also not good (laughs) like are not are not not engaging for me and so you know, sometimes there's not plot driven, but there's beautiful descriptions for me, not in this book. And I don't know how much of that is because it's a translation. Well, and just like Caravan Sarai, yeah. there's some significant, we're lacking the background cultural information to get the most out of this book. I don't think it's as severe as in Caravan no, Sarai yeah. was, but I think it is an issue in this book that we're not the audience for it. Mm-hmm. And the introduction did not give me enough information to like, know more about Peru than I know already to make this book make more sense well and (laughs) this book um it kind of threw you in like you should already know what's going on so Mm -hmm. like it was it it was the expectation that I would understand what's going on in Peru in the 1940s and 50s and I think that's because like around the time this book was written I think Peru had just had a revolution and they had like kicked out a lot of the like American money and Mm -hmm. stuff and so this is like a look back on their very, very recent past that would have been like a cultural touchstone that everyone would have known about. And that was very directly affecting what their world was like in that moment. Um, That's what I got from Wikipedia. That's what I got from (laughs) Wikipedia too. So we're on the same page. I also, on the point of translations, I feel like Jules Verne is a good translation. Like, when we read Around the World in 80 Days, it felt like a smooth... Isn't that... Is that a translation? Wasn't it written in French? Oh, yeah. I always think that Jules Verne is British, but he's French. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, because in that book, the main character is British. Like, that's that's a solid (laughs) translation. I thought the um, To Each His Own was a good translation. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the um, Pavel's letters was Pavel's good. Lover letters. It was a li- that one was a little rockier, but it was still good. And so this one, I'm not sure. I think the problem with these coming of age stories is that they're they're they were both intended to be told in stream of consciousness. Like it's kind of confusing because it's told from a kid's point of view, but then also from the adults around them. Like that was the intent, but it's really hard to translate that across a different language. Yes. Yeah. Like to be in somebody's head in a language and a culture that's not your own. Yeah. Where it's, if it was written for an audience, American audience, there would have been more stuff in there to help us get it because, but because it wasn't nobody's help, nobody's holding our hand and it's a struggle. And so, and I think that that must be, I wonder for translators if this is like the type of novel that's hardest to translate because Mm. just the way flow of speech is in other languages and flow of thought is in other languages is a lot different than the way we do it in English. And so when they're trying to translate it and it's a book that's all in that, it just ends up being blocks of text with confusing tenses. Also because of the subject matter of this book, 
even in the introduction, it said there was a lot of like jokes and word plays, English to Spanish, yeah. that we just didn't get at all because it was all the Spanish was translated. Yeah. And sometimes things would be in italics, but you couldn't, you know, like it, it just didn't really work. But I think that was a big point in the book that they, because people in Peru were being more Americanized, at the, you know, this this class of people in Peru, that they were making a lot of jokes about that. But you don't get that when it's yeah. translated at all. <laughs> Something that I did, <laughs> this novel made me really dislike like elitism like in newly rich populations where you're trying to separate yourself from the previous like from the lower classes new, by really new st- money is what you're saying yeah but money. I mean these guys weren't like super new money it just felt like the the rich was like this is the rich society was new if that made sense like that class having people of that yeah outrageous wealth yeah and how like they so much like because they had the money were so much better than their servants yeah and were just just amazing people yeah i mean i think that old money thinks that too but it's more subtle yeah then and then because new 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 money has to like declare in everything they do that they have this new status or something yeah and i couldn't tell if this family was completely new money but some of the characters that were stepping in were new money because it sounded like julius's family had the not prime minister that's the wrong country whatever they had in peru at the time the head person had been a grandfather uncle of this president yeah president yeah and the dad that's dead yeah i think that the stepdad is new money yes and the juan lestario yeah the cousin the cousin was Mm -hmm. new money and yeah. then, um, and so they came in and they had these really like poor people bad <laughs> was yeah. basically like the whole novel. It'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But Julius, you shouldn't be with the servants. Yeah. And so the whole book was like, poor people are bad. We're good. But then through our actions, you can see that we're actually horrible, horrible people on a, in a variety of ways. But we're the good ones because of our wealth is pretty disgusting. Like yeah. The whole, the, all the characters are pretty disgusting. So interesting because there was one, the aunt in the story, Susanna, mm-hmm. yeah, is presented she as so this bad. terrible person. Like anytime they say her name, it's attached to the word horrible or like they try and ignore her. They pretend they're not home when she calls. But in her characterization, it sounds like she's just a normal pia, but like she's like a mom who cares pious about her kids. Mom, yeah, like pious, pious, pious. is where not pious, mm-hmm. um, like a normal, like a little bit pious, like to kind of a higher level, but like not judgy, no. not super like rude yeah. person, and they just hated her basically because she cares about what her kids does and she wants her husband to be faithful to her like those are just old-fashioned things that we don't need anymore (laughs) and they hate her for it yeah Yeah. Mm. or like she there'd be a scene and she'd say something to the mom julius's mom who confusingly was named susan Susan, which i think was also a play because susan was the new person and susanna was the old-fashioned yeah um and susan is a more americanized name like i think there was a point to that but um it was confusing. Uh, so, like, Susanna would say things to Susan, like, oh, did you get Julius's uniform yet? And then there'd be, like, a page-long thing about Susan being so mad at her and how dare she remind me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're the freaking mom. Yeah. Well, wait, she just was mad at her because it would – she made – her feel like a bad mom because she was because she was yeah she really really so was. that was interesting because the one likable character in the novel is demonized is demonized yeah. <laughs> yeah 
I just one more thing about it being coming of age story. Yes. So so uh, so there's a book that we bought for the podcast at, that we thought was going to be our second book. Oh, I think we've mentioned it. I think once. we mentioned yeah. it before. Um, but we both read like 30 pages of it and we were like, oh, we can't even do this. And it's just been sitting. We just keep that'll be book 900. We can't yeah. do it. We can't do it. And in, but in that book, it starts out, uh, you know, like the, it's, a, it's like a come of age story. And the main guy He's like talking about this is what my birth was like. This is here's my thoughts of when I was a baby as if he was fully conscious and you yeah. could remember them. And it was so pretentious and terrible. And this book kind of starts like that. Yeah. But th- and, I, and I got really nervous. But then thank God he grows up. And then it's like, OK, he could remember this time. Yeah. And it wasn't only his perspective. It was also like his parents and the servants. But I was just like, it's another one. This is just the Peruvian version of that book. It's going to yeah. be horrible. I <sighs> definitely for a moment there was. There was a long stretch in this book that was just real rough to read. Yeah. And it's not even... It's not even that I don't appreciate what the author was trying to say. I just think it was too long. Yeah. Because I think that... So this book is divided into five chapters over the 430 pages. And so there... I think if just one of them has had been presented as like a vignette, like a novella... Mm-hmm. I would have liked this better because I would have got the point. Because in the first section, he's like a two to a five-year-old and you're already seeing the stepdad come in and the stepdad's telling him not to be with the servants and you're already seeing that push-pull between his brothers who've already started to grow up and become terrible people Mm -hmm. and this little boy who's really innocent and just kind of playing. Like, he doesn't realize that there's anything to it when he's playing with the servants or when he's doing these things. And so if that had been, like, a novella... I think my opinion would have been different. Yeah. It's kind of like when we read Reasons to Live and we were like, oh, yeah, the whole thesis of the sea was like captured in a one and a half page story in Reasons to Live. And that was enough. We got it. We didn't need the whole novel. That's kind of what this was like. Yeah. And so I think that my biggest gripe is just the length. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's it's just like it kind of it goes around in circles, which I think it's probably just like a more the storytelling culture in Peru yeah. is different than here and that's fine and just like in life as a caravan sarai it's fine that this book isn't for us yeah that's good you know other people can read this and get a lot out of it but it's just not to our taste and what we're used to reading so it's harder for us to read it it was interesting something that i'm noticing in these books is that the like classism how much it's across all of the cultures we're reading yeah um because <laughs> Something that happened in this book that made me think back to Crime and Punishment and made me think back to Caravan Sarai and it made me think back to one of our other novels. I can't think of which one now. Um, Hadrian even a little bit. That was the other one. Was that um, so one of the servants is described as like a beautiful woman, but she's beautiful for being a servant like there's always Mm -hmm. a caveat on it on it and the first brother santiago when he comes of age either attempts to rape her or does does rape rape her her. um and the way it's handled is she quits so that they don't have to fire her they give her a little bit of money and they send santiago to college in america then like four years later in the novel the second brother in line Roberto is now 17 and he literally hears a rumor that this or sees her on the street mm-hmm. and and this old other servant her name was Vilma sees Vilma on the street and 
figures out that she has become a prostitute, follows her to her, like, brothel, brothel where she's working, and then waits until she's there one night and he has the money and sleeps with her, who she was his, like, servant as a child. And, like, yeah. And then all the other servants and everyone in the household and even Julian is looking down on this woman because she's now a whore in Mm. their eyes. Yeah. And like, I just, there's this, there's this consistency with like classism and like how we look down on what people's desperate decisions end up being. Yes. Across all of the books we've read across all the cultures. Yes. Also the, um... That I was reading the end of this book today, this today, like the last 50 Made pages. Made me so angry. And I was like, oh, I wonder if it's going to have like a real ending because it's kind of just been meandering. Uh-huh. And then it turned out like the big reveal is that the middle brother is al- also sleeps with that ex-servant. And it was just like, ugh, this is terrible. It's like, this is a horrible, disgusting Well, like, and even worse than that, the littlest brother, Julian, finds out about it and like ends up just sobbing himself to sleep because he knows he just has to assimilate to that yeah and, and then he'll on. be the next like the next one to do it which like, is just like crazy horrifying yeah also all the women in this book like there's there's just a few archetypes and no differing from them so there's like Susanna the good mom that everybody hates she's mm-hmm. kind of the saint but people hate her for it yeah. and then there's and then there's like the sexy whore and that's it really those are the only like that like the, and the old crazy woman and the old yeah old crazy wise woman mm-hmm. that's it all the women in this book are stereotypes <laughs> which I, which i was just kind of like oh yep of course the servant is now a prostitute because that's all you all you can be you can only be yeah. good or bad as a, if you're I a mean, woman even in this the world. men too though were very stereotypical like there were the social climbers dreams yeah there were social climbers there were the men who were already rich and just like looked down on everything and then there were the servants who were just portrayed as being like rough men. Like those were the three things you yeah. could be. The only difference was because the brothers were main characters, they had a little more depth. But yeah. any side male character was like one of those three archetypes too. Yeah. So yeah. and yeah. I mean again, I feel like this novel was making a point. Yeah. And the point was and the point was good. Like, but it was just it just it could have come to that point a few pages sooner. <laughs> If For this me. had been a 130-page novel, I would have been set. Yeah, I probably would have liked it way more. <laughs> yeah. One one or two less parties where the mom and the stepdad just leave the little boy at home alone and go get drunk. Yeah, and forget to take him out for his birthday. Yeah. And when they do take him out, they take him to an aquarium. That's just a really fancy restaurant yeah. that only grown-ups go to, and then he doesn't get any food yep. <laughs> that he can eat, that he likes. Yeah. It's terrible. There's something terrible in this book about, like, that if you're rich, particularly if you're a rich man, you're just entitled to anything. If you see a yeah. woman and you want her, you she's yours. If you see a thing or you haven't seen an architect and you want him to build your house, then you get then it's yours. You just get it automatically, and, the, and they're – the stepdad's like telling the older boys that like and that's good it's good but mm-hmm. actually it's like destroying them that yeah. level of entitlement is destroying them but and but and then the servants are portrayed in some cases as like having wisdom but also as sort of like childlike because they're being like so looked down upon but they're and their lives but they're not glorified in the sense of like oh yes but their lives are like yeah ideal they're not their their lives are normal like and i think that's kind of good i feel like it would have been 
way just stupider and more of a stereotype of then the servants' lives had been protected and beautiful make, utopia. You know, it, it didn't, didn't do that. make the mistake that um, the, not to each his own. The South African novel we read. Oh, the life and times of Michael. K. It didn't make the life and times of Michael K. mistake where it like simplified someone and made them like this like angelic presence because yeah. of an assumption. Yes. Exactly. Um, but it also didn't they were just normal so they didn't have a flushed out life yeah really. yeah they're just background characters to the excess and elite people yeah. in the book so i mean and i don't even know if i haven't like i don't have much to say about this yeah book this kind of sums it sums it up well, because it just it. um so the question is you know other times we put books on the list that we think other people should read them mm-hmm. before they die because and even if they're not to our taste our personal taste or even if culturally it's a challenge because we're missing some background information and we still put them on the list because I think they're worthwhile. So the question is, is, is this book like that? Or do we just feel like there's better representations of literature from this region that, that we like more? I, this is similar in a caravan. Sur- oh wait, I should say, we should say if we want yes, on the list first. Yes. Okay. Uh, since I All just right. gave that away. All right. Count. <laughs> One, <laughs> two, two, three. three. No. no. Similar to Caravan Sarai, I want to want this to be on the list. Um, And I worry about how often we're not putting books like this on the list because they're not meant for us as the audience. Yeah. Um, And I want to be really careful with that as we move forward. But I got the point of this novel in less than 100 pages, and I don't think it needed to be that long. And yes. so, yeah, I agree that um, I don't want to suddenly look at our list after we've read 50 books and be like, oh, we've only put English language writers on here mm-hmm. or European writers on here. I don't want that to have happened. Uh, and I want to read translations and I want to read things that teach me about new cultures and that are a challenge because it, it's important to have for my own growth and our growth mm-hmm. to do that as readers and as people. Um but, uh, but sometimes I, th- I think like with the caravan Sarai, like the walls or barriers are just too high to us mm-hmm. to get something out of it. This book, we did get something out of it. Yeah, it, it's more about the structure of it. It's mm-hmm. it's really just about the structure and the length, and that it could have been done in it. We could have gotten the exact same thing out of it in a simpler form. That yeah. I think keeps it off the list for me. Um, and I know that I really love. <laughs> 100 Years of Solitude, which is from the – not from Peru, but from South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know there are other great books from this region. And so it's yeah. like, there's got to be something else good from South America that we're going to want to put on the list that we're going to read here eventually. And I, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that something needs to go on the list just because it's the only option from that region. I think yeah. that it does a disservice to – areas of the world to say we're gonna put a not this wasn't a shitty book i'm gonna say shitty here but this is i'm not specifically referring to this book we're gonna put this shitty book on the list because it's the only one we could find from your country like yeah that's that's terrible that's like (laughs) that also is not something that should happen and so like i don't want to put this on the list because i don't think that it's the best example of like what good writing from latin american countries could be yes 
Yes. Yeah. And so I feel like we'll discover other new things. If you know anything great that we should read from Peru or elsewhere, email us at 1001books at gmail.com. And Peru is a South American country, not a Latin American country, isn't South it? South American, it's yeah. It's technically, it's far it's, south. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's south not south. in Central America. Yeah. It's in South so America. So South American countries, not Latin American, because those are very different, I think, like yeah. structures of their countries. So, um. Yeah, um, let us know if you think there's something else that should be on here on yeah. the list. He does have other novels, and I didn't – I don't think I would, like, pick one up unless someone recommended it to me. But if someone recommended me another novel by him and, like, had a good reason and said maybe that it didn't drag on, I would read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would definitely read it. Also, this is our 15th book, so we are 1.5% of the way Yay! through the list. Pretty exciting. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> um <sighs> Yeah, I know. Um, I'm I'm pretty proud of us, honestly. <laughs> on our 15 books. On our 15 books. And yeah. I'm, I'm still feeling like th- each time we read one of these books, even if I didn't love the book, I like got something from it. I know. I feel like a, a lot of people I'm telling them about books and that I didn't like, or even if I, in the end, I think they should go on the list, reading them is a chore, like Crime and mm-hmm. Punishment or something. And they're just like, why are you doing this if you don't like a lot of the books? And it's just like, it's just like, you don't understand, like it's still valuable to yeah. me and I still enjoy the process. And it's, it's like when I pick up books, I would never pick up normally. You might discover a real gem. Yeah. You know, that, um, that you wouldn't have picked up and it's like totally worth it. But I feel like people don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to stretch. Yeah. I'm excited to keep stretching with this podcast. Yes. Um, uh, also I've noticed in my like books I read in 2018, I'm like probably reading at like double the pace that I normally do. Cause I realize what happens is that, Usually we just have a week to read this book and then I want to, so we do this, like we record in the middle of the week and then I want to squeeze in another book I have yeah. at the library and then I read that really, really fast. And so I try to get that done by the weekend and then I start this book, which I try to read in like three days yeah. every time. And so then every week I'm reading two books or sometimes three if I'm like reading something at the same time as the podcast one. So I'm just like, I feel like I'll hit a hundred books this year for the first time Yay! in my life. <laughs> I know. I set my goal at 120, which is slightly more than two a week because... I do um, audiobooks on the drive to work, and so I figured, yeah. oh, that'll, like, even out over the course and yeah. make it a hundred. So I'm thinking, I think I'll get on it, too. I'm on track on Goodreads. Yeah. I yeah, I think my max ever before is, like, 70-something, so it would be a huge jump for me to yeah. get on it. But I'm just, like, and then, and then reading these books makes me, other people recommend things to me more, I feel like, because mm-hmm. I'm talking about books more, and I'm just, like, thinking about books. So then I, like, make more requests in the library and I put things on my TBR I more. also think it does something really powerful which makes you appreciate the books that are comfort books too mm-hmm. because sometimes I feel like I get in a reading slump because I've read too many comfy cozy books in a row like mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I've really fallen into tropes of reading things that I like to read or I um don't have the motivation to step outside my comfort zone but there's nothing really new that's exciting me in those areas I normally read and so I think something this is doing is that even if we're not liking the book then I'm also reading another book that like it makes me appreciate it more yes definitely I um I definitely feel that way too and like this week when I read Six of Crows because I feel like I've been reading a lot of serious novels outside this it was like oh it's like mm, it's like putting on a warm sweater just like yeah. a really fun action-packed adventure novel uh it's just like it felt, I read it so fast and like 
basically like two sittings mm-hmm. and it was just like oh this is so nice it is like coming home but it's like the good because then I can like venture out to these yeah. more serious books that are more a challenge and then come back to this and it's so yeah it no I appreciate think, it yeah. I think it's doing a lot for that too so that's good yeah. yeah so all we're saying is read books that make you uncomfortable you guys it's good for you it <laughs> is good for you <laughs> okay um, so this week we are going to do a follow-up to our, um, kind of extra segment last week where I recommended that the book thief be on the list and okay. Nicole is going to make a recommendation for a book she wants to be on All the right, list. All right. So we're going to pitch this book. Yay! Okay. So this is a book I don't think that you have read. Um, so that would be different than last week. So it's called The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. I have not read it. And I think I originally read this. It was just like. On, you know when a on the table at the library and you can there's no line and you can check it out uh-huh. and uh it's it's an environmental novel and it's the protagonist is and it's told from the perspective of a 12 year old girl and just like she lives in southern california world you know she's a kid she's going to school life's normal and then one day everyone in the world wakes up to realize that the, the world has started turning slightly slightly slower on its access so the day is not 24 hours it's like 24.12 mm-hmm. and then every day that is getting a little bit longer the earth is spinning slower and it starts to cause all of these environmental disasters mm-hmm. like um, all the birds die because the magnetic field on the earth breaks and then they can't figure out how to fly anymore and they die because the birds use that to know how to fly. Uh-huh. And um, there starts to be, you know, longer periods of daylight and then long periods of darkness. And so crops start failing, right? And mm-hmm. we have to grow crops in greenhouses so that they stay alive because they're not getting enough natural sunlight. So then we don't have a power to do run things like the internet because we have to put all of our remaining mm-hmm. power into like keeping humans alive. Uh, and, but the whole, and so basically the idea is that the, sometimes the environmental disaster that happens to, happens is not the one that we're preparing for. Uh-huh. So it's basically, it's an allegory for climate change, yeah. but it's brilliant because the protagonist is this 12 year old girl. So she's just experiencing it, um, in her town with her parents at her school, what's happening and what she's hearing about it, but uh-huh. not being fully explained to her because she's a kid and trying to protect her. And so she's not thinking, are all the people on the other side of the world dead? She's only thinking about her setting. And so it saves the author from having to try to explain some of the bigger geopolitical things that would happen if something like that happens. Because it's just the little little kid. So it makes it possible to write a Uh book about it. And then there's like people who believe that it's like God's will or meant to be that this is happening and and the government has decided that everyone's going to continue to keep a 24-hour a day clock even huh. though it's not 24 hours a day. So then it doesn't take long to where like our daytime is, it's actually dark. Right. Interesting. Uh, and then some people think that's wrong. We need to follow what nature is doing. And so they, they like go out and form like communities in the desert uh-huh. where they try to live and like in the long, like live. Okay. Uh-huh. We're going to stay up longer when it's daylight and just try to, our bodies to adjust to it, which they can do up to a point, but, but eventually then- it's like the light is a week long and the dark is a week long you know uh-huh. uh, and so it's just like it's really crazy and then she like and then amidst of this background she like has her first love with uh-huh. a neighbor neighbor boy um and but then a lot of people start getting sick because the magnetic field is broken and the o- uh, ozone layer is like not protecting it and people are getting like sun sickness and nobody knows what's causing it and he gets it and then he goes away because people are saying, oh, it's better if you're, like, closer to the equator. And so uh-huh. his family takes him there. And then the internet goes away. Be- and so she, and so she just never her. sees him again. 
Um, but it's just like, I don't know, it's a really beautiful, like, coming-of-age story. But done. But, but done really well. And the um, and the background is so interesting cause it, because it it's very much about climate change, but it has nothing to do with climate change. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I think I just thought it was so brilliant. I've never I don't know if she's written any other books. I don't uh-huh. never read them, never even looked into them. But this book, I think, is like so powerful. And I for if anybody was a climate change denier mm-hmm. or like just didn't think it was a very big deal or didn't think environment was something to really worry about or that was important this would be a good novel to hand them because um a lot of the things that happened it it seemed very logical like yeah Yeah. if we were having this kind of disaster this is what would happen politically this is what would happen in your town this is what happened at schools this is you know people would have these emotional reactions to it and like all throughout the book she'll be like yeah yeah and then this and this and this happened and that was the last time I ever had grapes yeah and stuff like that you know because they get down like the bare necessities and it's it's just it's powerful Interesting. Um, I really want to read it. I know you you've talked about it with yeah. me before, and every time you talk about it, I say I really want to read. it. Yeah, and I've never read anything like it before, before or since, and Ooh. so that's why I think it stood to these on the list because I feel like there aren't that many books that are about the environment in mm-hmm. an indirect way like that, um, and because there's nothing else like it out there. Interesting. So that's the Age of Miracles. Oh, I, I think I have to read Age of Miracles, and I think you have to read the book thief again. Okay. This seems like a fair exchange. That seems fair. And I own that book, so we can exchange. <laughs> I own multiple, multiple copies. Yeah. <laughs> also, the other thing about the Age of Miracles is that at the end, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but at the end, like, it's not like, oh, and then we come up, humans through our ingenuity come up with a big solution to save no, them. No, everyone's going to die. We don't. We don't. It like there's an epilogue where she's much older, uh-huh. and it's just, like things have just gotten worse. And so, which I also think is realistic, and it's not like oh, and then we build spaceships yeah. and escape. It's like oh yeah, we we put a tiny space capsule together where we put like the smell of grass and like a copy of the New York Times into the thing, and just hoping that in twenty thousand years it'll reach the edge of our space solar system, and maybe people or rem- something will remember us, even though we'll be gone long gone. Like that's how uh. the book ends. It's really oh, it's so good. <laughs> That did that one make you cry? I think I think that it did. Yeah, it, it's been a while since I've read it. I I actually so I loan I had bought, I got it from the library. I loved it. I bought a copy. I loaned it. I mm-hmm. failed to get it back. Uh, it was given away to somebody else without my knowledge. So I just recently bought it again because so I was like, I have it. to have a copy of that, even though it's been out of my house loaned out for like a year. I was like, no, That's I need funny. it. And so it's time for a reread. If you like. loan it to me, I will return it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty bummed because that copy that I gave away was signed by the author. Uh, and it was, and, and then they gave it away, which I, which I feel like would, would have been like not a big deal if it hadn't been a signed copy. And you're just like, no. <laughs> but I just ordered another copy. It's not signed, but the story inside is the same. So it could be on my shelf. <laughs> let go of the thing and just yeah i said to let it go i had to let it go so uh, as we both are like cringing i'll trust you with it i'll trust you yes i will write my name on the inside cover but i'll trust you to return it so if i give it away someone will get it years down the line like nicole geiger you should put please return please return yeah you can also turn down the pages if you want (laughs) just as just because i owe you one Just, I don't know if I physically could do that to a book. It might, yes. uh, it might make Freak me out Ill. too bad. Yeah, yeah, it might disturb my OCD a little yeah. bit. So, right. well, should we draw our book for next time? Yes. Okay. All right, our book for next time is called "If This Is a Man." 
That sounds deep. <laughs> if this is a man. Hmm. I'm thinking philosophical novel or memoir. I'm thinking... Could come from any era. Yeah, it really could come from any time. I think it's going to look at, like, humanity. Like, if this is a man. <laughs> no. Sorry, just like, yes. Because most of the books are, in the end, about the human condition. Yes. <laughs> but, like, how we define each other. Kind oh, yeah. of looking at All humanity. Right. There you go. That's good. <laughs> Not just broad spectrum. Just, All the books eventually boil down to being about humanity. Yes. And our our quirks and struggles. Like maybe and we'll read a book about aliens. And then what will you say? If there's a book about aliens on here, I'd be like, this is the best. But you know what? It, that would be an allegory about humanity. <laughs> Because it's not like it was written by an alien. I wonder if there's any, like, science fiction. Not even science fiction, but, like, I don't think there would be any fantasy or anything beyond I think, magical I mean, realism. Um, I think the Fellowship of the Ring is on the list. Like, the, or the Lord of the Rings is on the list. <gasps> Foundational fantasy. And I, th- I bet there's probably at least one, like, found original sci-fi novel that will be, you know. That's because something, I feel something like that's sometimes fun. those genres are looked down on a little yeah. bit. Um, well, and I think Frankenstein is on the list. Oh. And it's considered the first fantasy novel ever, written by a woman. <laughs> but have you noticed that? Mary, Sh- Mary Shelley, right? Yeah, Mary Shelley. Have you noticed that? So sometimes, like, um, lit fic is considered so much better than other genres. When I think some places, like, um, dystopian novels and uh, sometimes, like, fantasy novels do a really good job of making those allegories, like the one you talked about, yeah. um, for the human condition in a yeah. way that doesn't feel like a direct finger point, um, and so it's interesting. Yeah, and I think I can, those books, like, are, like, literary sci-fi or literary fantasy. Yeah. They're not pulp True. fiction, like, pulp fantasy, because those, like, those, the writing is terrible, and any, yeah. if it's chiclet, if it's fantasy, it's, like, yeah. it's just, like, a bunch of paperwork's on, like, a wire rack in a convenience yes, store. Those that's aren't, different. And we're, like, Harlequin romances. I mean, there might be some value in that they're easy to read and give you joy, so if those are your yeah. thing, there's no it's shame better, in It's that. better than not reading anything. Yeah. I feel like read but, whatever um, you want. Read all yeah. the erotica that you want to read. <laughs> all the erotica. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's that our message. Note, <laughs> Um, so we hope you really like this episode and if you would like to like us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us, then that would be fabulous. Oh yeah, we're supposed to call it, I've noticed on other podcasts that they're not saying iTunes, they're saying Apple Podcasts. I think I, I think Apple made an announcement. So you can rate and review us on Apple, Apple Podcasts Podcast. or wherever you get our podcasts. It helps other people find the show. Or you can follow or like us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at 1001bookspod. Or you can email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs>